excuse me while I just get myself sorted. <clears throat> if you've got your Bibles, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Did everyone enjoy Jonathan from B of E last week? That's good. He's a uh, live wire, isn't he? Did you see him without a smile? No? Okay. Um, I want to ask you a question, though. Have you ever called a family meeting before? You ever called a family meeting in your family where you get everyone together, you gather to share some news or explain something difficult or to correct behaviours or to set in place some new guidelines or, or family expectations? And every now and then, uh, we gather together as a family to work some things through or even just to make sure that everyone's together, hear it all at once so you don't have to repeat it, um, and, and let people ask questions so that things are understood, and then move forward together as a family. You know, I sort of feel like 1 Timothy chapter 5 is a little bit like that. It's a little bit like Timothy, you know, imagine him receiving this letter and getting down to this section of the letter with very, impra- very practical instructions on how to manage the church and thinking, I've got to call a family meeting. I can sort of just imagine that that's how we would have received this. And, and Paul's instruction begins very much so in the context of family. In verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Now, we often say that church is family, and that we are family, and this is a place you can belong. And, and that's because we are family. We're, we're older brothers, we're, we're, we're younger brothers, we're younger sisters, we're older sisters, we're fathers, we're mothers. We are family together. We are family. In chapter 3, Paul spoke of the church as the household of God. So we're members together of that household. We are family. And so how we treat each other should be as family. We should have the grace to speak gently with each other, to encourage each other, to counsel each other, to listen to each other, as we do with those with whom we respect in our family. You know, chapter 4 finished with a passage where Paul encouraged Timothy not to let anyone look down on him for his youth. And then here... Timothy is encouraged to treat older men with respect, even if he did have to correct them. You know, that sounds like family to me, doesn't it? Does it sound like family to you? It's not always going to be easy, but we love and respect each other and care for each other, and so treat each other well as family, regardless of age. We are brothers and sisters together. You know, there's times when we all lovingly counsel each other, when we counsel people in our families. You know, if we see an error in their ways, or if we observe a lack of wisdom, or if someone puts something on Facebook that they really shouldn't have, we counsel them, say, get that down. Or we we, we have a chat with, with people, Dad, you really didn't need to click on that link in that email. But then there's also the counsel that comes from older men to younger men 
and in our family. That's what a healthy family does. It's, it shares the burdens, it upholds those who need it, it encourages growth, it builds strength together, it blesses the, the, the contributors of the whole family. It cares, it supports, it rebukes if needed, it blesses others, it welcomes openly, it joyfully serves, it is flourishing and it is vibrant. That is our family. That is our church. This is our household of God. But then Paul gets down to some brass tacks, as you might say. He, he has two main issues that were affecting the church in Ephesus. One was young widows and the other was erring elders. So I want to have a look at his teaching that he gives on young widows. First he says, Honour widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues to in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So Paul gave instruction to the church's responsibilities for its widows to clarify how and for whom the church should provide special care. Widows have been and are still especially vulnerable individuals. And as such, God has always shown special concern for their protection and the church should mirror God's attitude. In the time this letter was written, a woman obtained her social status first from her father and then her husband. And so if a woman lost her husband, she was bereft not only of him, but also of a social standing. And Paul gives us three types of widows and instruction on how each of these groups to be cared for. The first were those who had children or grandchildren who could financially support them. The Christian physical relatives of this group should care for these widows. Second, there were those who had no family at all to care for them. The church should care for the second group, the widows with no family, and presumably widows with non-supportive family as well. The church should honour this second group of widows, the extremely dependent, rather than looking down on them. However, not all in the second category should receive financial help, because Paul says that only those widows without children or supporting relatives who give evidence that they are looking to God for their needs and are seeking to honour him with their lives, it's only those who qualify. Widows who give themselves to the pursuit of pleasure rather than to the pursuit of God do not qualify for regular support. That's the third group of widows in the passage. But this was a time when there was no welfare of any kind. And so it was very important that the church was able to step in to support these young widows so that they weren't forced into slavery or forced to sell themselves just to survive. That's what the passage alludes to. So if she maintained her hope in the Lord and focused on serving him, the church was to support her. It was a wonderful system of protection and provision, but was wholly reliant upon the woman's approach and her own life decisions. But at the same point, she was to be a solid contributor and work hard for the Lord and not be idle or self-indulgent. 
Warren Wearsby shared some wisdom on this passage. He writes, It's been my experience in three different pastorates that godly widows are a spiritual powerhouse in the church. They are the backbone of the prayer meetings, they give themselves to visitation, and they swell the ranks of teachers in the Sunday school. It's also been my experience, Warren Wisby writes, if a widow is not godly, she can be a great problem to the church. She'll demand attention, complain about what the younger people do, and often hang on the telephone and gossip. Of course, it's not really gossip. She only wants her friends to be able to pray more intelligently about these matters. End quote. So there's a challenge for us all. I'm really, you know, this is family. It's not just widows, really, is it? Um, but it's our approach to, to our, our family. And in verse, verse 7, Paul actually says, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. So Timothy was to give these instructions so that family members in the church would shoulder their rightful responsibility. And he was also to do so to encourage the widows to seek the Lord and be above reproach rather than pursuing lives characterised as self-indulgent. He goes on, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The family members have a universally recognised duty to care for one another. Even unbelievers acknowledge this. So if a Christian fails here, then not only because um, then they not only behave contrary to the teaching of our faith, but are shown up by unbelievers who actually help their needy relatives. And so even as Jesus himself hung on the cross, he made provision for his mother's care. We are to care for family. In verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, she has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. So it appears that the church in Ephesus kept a list, a role, of the people who they supported regularly with provision. Now, this isn't a prescriptive command that we should also do. It is simply a description of what they did. Just like when Paul writes, greet each other with a holy kiss. Do we do that as, take that as prescriptive? Or do we just say that that's descriptive? That's what they did, right? Otherwise, everyone would be getting a kiss every week. Um, or meeting in homes. That was another descriptive part of, of Paul's teaching. We actually don't meet in homes other than our small groups. We meet here in this household of God. Um, so we take those things as descriptive, not prescriptive. But a widow had to meet three qualifications to get a name on the list. She had to be at least 60 years old. And at that age, most widows probably became incapable of providing for their own needs. And most would no longer have the opportunity to remarry. Second, she had to have been the wife of one man. We, we, we covered this earlier. It means faithful. Faithful. See, a widow may have become a widow, remarried, and become a widow again, 
Well, that doesn't disqualify her then if she remained faithful. Not promiscuous. Remarriage after the death of a husband wouldn't disqualify her. In fact, Paul later says that she should remarry again if she can. And the third was to have established reputation for doing good works. So she should have brought up her children well, been hospitable to strangers, humbly served her Christian family, had helped people in distress or special need, and had devoted herself to good works. You know, those descriptions are actually a great description of a healthy family. Not just widows, but something we should all be doing. A family that is shaped by the gospel will naturally be doing these things. And a mother's responsibilities before the Lord to live as someone shaped by the gospel will, will most often bear this fruit naturally. So it's not saying there are extra special rules or guidelines for women to follow. Paul is more describing the natural, healthy, flourishing Christian life shaped by the gospel and lived for God's glory. But Paul says it would be unwise to put younger women on the list. He says, refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation, having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed from Satan. So, Paul's basically saying, in view of the possibility of younger widows intruding into other people's affairs inappropriately, Paul encouraged them instead to remarry. And in the ancient world, most people expected that a widow would remarry. And Paul urged the younger widows to get married and have children to serve God through raising the next generation well. And I could see how practically this would have been going on at Ephesus and why it necessitated a change. See, there wouldn't have been enough work to be done for a large number of widows to keep each widow occupied and busy. Uh, and so the temptation to be busy bodies had apparently been too strong and was causing issues. And we all know resources in churches are never in overabundance. So to be able to care for the genuine widows who had no options left in a way that was sustainable meant encouraging those with options to pursue them with a view to continue their service of the Lord. If any woman, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. See, this is sort of one of those things that we could, as a church, do so many different things. But where's the greatest need? Let's meet those ones, not absolutely everything that pops up. We, we just can't do that. There's finite resources uh, to us available uh, to, and we, we direct those where, where God calls us to. And so that is basically um, wraps up that section on, on caring for widows. It is amazing that there was such provision by the early church when no one else in society was providing anything for these people. You might look at that and think, oh my goodness, that's really like laying down the law. There's a lot of rules in there. But actually, it was all about grace and life giving so that these women didn't have to become slaves of any description and could actually healthily continue to serve the Lord as part of a family of God. 
Um, then Paul turns his attention to elders. He says, Let the elders who rule be well considered, worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages. Paul is very positive in his initial instruction about elders. He upholds the noble task and even further expressed that the office of overseer or elder was worthy of being honoured and that the elder who did the job faithfully and well was doubly worthy, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. You know, that's why we pay visiting preachers because we honour their contribution to our church family and we offer their honour their effort in teaching the scriptures. Now, just a bit of a sidebar here, but we don't pay people from BUV because that's part of their job. They're already paid to do that, actually. So that'll be like double dipping. So we, just, we don't pay people from the BUV. Just to clarify that for you, but anyone else uh, that's visiting, we do. And I personally greatly appreciate the encouragement that I receive for my sermons, which I do labour at some weeks harder than others. I do labour at. I do value it when I'm honoured for faithfully preaching the word of God. And it means more to me than anything financially, although that's also appreciated, having the freedom to be released from working outside of the church so I can dedicate myself to this role is certainly a privilege and a blessing as well that I do not take lightly. But honour is not something we do well in our culture. We're quick to knock people down and don't give praise easily. It's almost like we're opposed to honouring people because we don't want it to go to their heads or, or something. You know, honouring my parents' contribution over the last 35 years in ministry was why I went to Bury last weekend, um, because they were worthy of being honoured for faithfully serving the Lord and faithfully preaching the word over many decades. In the tributes that were given to them at uh, their retirement and farewell from the church in Bury on Sunday afternoon, it was amazing how many people come forward and read a passage of scripture that reminded them of my mum and dad. And I thought, that's really precious, isn't it? That it wasn't everything else that they'd done. It wasn't the fact that while they were there, they built and gifted a men's shed to the Berry community as part of the church's um, generosity to the community. It wasn't all the different ministries that they did time and time again. What reminded people the most about them was scripture. And so they read passages of scripture in honour of my parents, which was really lovely. And it was great to see other people honour them in that way. However, the opposite of honour is criticism. And criticism of leaders, it, it almost seems like a, a favourite sport in our country, doesn't it? We're all quick to pile on when it comes to having a go at people in authority. It's probably got a lot to do with our convict past, many, many have said. Uh, it's deeply ingrained, though, in our national culture. But Paul directed that his readers should not entertain an accusation against an elder unless two or three witnesses agree in their testimony of his wrongdoing. He says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So the process is simple. Timothy was to approach an erring elder in private first. If they persisted in sin, however, he was then to do it publicly. 
This would serve to discourage people, not only from sitting, as there was visible accountability in the family, but it would also hopefully lead to repentance before the community of the erring elder. And can I tell you, I have had to privately rebuke church leaders in my time as a pastor, and it's not nice. I'm glad I've never had to do it publicly. I don't like rebuking church leaders, but as a shepherd of the flock, it's too important if I don't. And I've also seen pastors go at it in heated conversations between themselves. In fact, one, they almost came to fisticuffs in the hallway that was that heated with what was supposed to be a private rebuke and loving counsel. It doesn't always go to plan when emotions and our humanity are at play. But wouldn't it be nice if conflict never occurred in the church? If we all just agreed and got along? If we're all just perfectly united? Well, it's a lovely notion and something we should work hard to maintain, but our unity in Christ um, is what, what binds us together. But, but there will be conflict. That is a reality. And I'm not afraid of conflict on the things that really matter. There are hills to die on. See, I'm a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper facilitates compromises until everyone is happy. But really, no one's happy because you've just compromised. But a peacemaker stands on their conviction to bring glory to God first and is prepared to fight for the greatest good, not settle for what's good enough. What's best, not just what's good. A peacemaker will work through the conflict to come to the best outcome and not avoid conflict by simply compromising or by deferring. You know, I, I hope that we can all bring the peace of God with us in all humility. And leaders are to do this with objectivity, honesty and fairness. In verse 21, Paul writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality. Paul also urged Timothy to minimise the possibility of elder failure by being extremely careful about whom he appointed in the first place. I've said this many times before, but no leader is better than the wrong leader. He says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are, conspicu are conspicuous, going conspicuous, thank you, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. I should have stayed reading here. It's a little bit small over there. Sins are not always obvious as soon as someone commits them, right? However, eventually they'll become known if persisted in, usually. In the same manner, good deeds can remain hidden for years, but often they become known. And consequently, the better a church knows its potential elders, the fewer surprises they will present after their appointment. This is why we encourage potential leaders to walk with us, to be known and to know, to discern suitability over time and not rush into any appointments. 
In a couple of weeks at our next church family meeting, we will be voting on the proposal to employ a next generation's staff person and to appoint a search committee to search for and discern the right person for that role. We don't take that process lightly and we know how important it is to find the right person who will be the right fit for our church and this vital ministry to youth, children and young adults. We know that this will take time to do it right. But there is a great need amongst our young people, both in our church and in our community. So we want to meet that need. In two Fridays' time, we will be starting our first youth group. Uh, there will be a first meeting of our youth group. And, you know, on a quick count, there's already around 20 kids from our church with connections in that age group. So it's a good number to start with. And our vision is to resource our ministries to the next generations well, that includes staff, but also team members and prayer. Please pray for our youth and for our youth ministry. And if you want to be involved in this ministry to youth, please stay after for the meeting after church today. But I want to now sort of circle back. We've sort of touched on elders and leaders, church leaders. It's an important thing to maintain unity and, and be healthy We've touched on, on the widows and caring for people. I want to return to that for a second because um, there's something really closely connected with caring for widows from the first half of chapter 5. See, our wider community is facing many issues. And those many issues are only growing. There's a massive shortage of housing in Wangaratta and the waiting list for public housing is around 1,000 people or 1,000 families long. And there's also many who are homeless in our community. But this issue is far greater than we as a church or even a community of churches can meet. There's cost of living challenges <coughs> that are facing countless families, singles, couples and retirees. As everything keeps getting more expensive, but incomes aren't growing and, and that's putting pressure on family household budgets meaning some people can't afford food. And we are thankful of how well-resourced Loaves and Fishes Christians Caring is. And together as the churches of Wangaratta, we've been able to unite to meet that need, along with other organisations in the community that also feed people. And as I look at the needs of our community, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, verses 35 and onwards. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did you... We see you sick or in prison and visit you. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. See, we're already involved in being the needs of the hungry and thirsty. We do well welcoming new people and families into our, into our family. We have people involved in ministering to the sick through our pastoral care team and those who volunteer at the hospital. But what about those in prison? What about those needing clothes. 
Well, I want to share with you today about something that I want to bring to Wangaratta that clothes the naked and even helps those released from incarceration reintegrate into the community. And this is about helping widows as well. It's about meeting practical, physical needs and bringing hope in a tangible way to those who need it most in our community. We want to bring Thread Together to Wangaratta. And I want to give you a brief introduction to what Thread Together is. So Thread Together was founded in 2012. You can't see all that, but that's okay. To solve two problems. To divert brand new clothing from landfill from fashion brands and to provide those brand new clothes to people who need them. More than 500 fashion brands donate brand new clothing, more than 2.4 million items each year, which are then given to people who need them completely for free in a dignified shopping-like experience. Whole wardrobes are given to more than 2,000 people per week, for, from women escaping domestic violence to the long-term unemployed who need new clothing to present welfare interviews, to at-risk youth, new arrivals into the country seeking refuge, the vulnerable aged, indigenous communities, people returning to the community from incarceration and emergency relief from things like fires and floods. We know about, a bit about that up here recently, don't we? And we want to bring this clothing hub right here to Wangaratta to set up a high-end fashion-styled clothing store to give away these clothes to those in our community who need it. This happens by appointments and through referrals, so it's not open to just anyone, and there are processes in place to ensure that it's all above reproach. Um, we don't want people coming in and taking a $600 pair of RM Williams boots and then putting them on eBay. Um, so that's why there's security pr processes in place. But clothes are received at the National Warehouse and then each hub orders what is needed to replenish stock. And the engine room of Thread Together is its volunteers, with most hubs operated by churches just like ours. The guy that currently runs it is a new Christian and they love working with churches. This is their driving statement. <coughs> We need help to protect our planet and restore hope and dignity by empowering vulnerable people in our community. Sounds like a good fit for us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? To restore hope and dignity? What a great thing. So here's some examples of two established locations. The first is Oxford Street, and it's a small store on a street front that caters to as many people as possible. They also do different activations, um, which have included makeovers and everything. Um, last year, as part of my trip to Tasmania, I visited the Hobart Clothing Hub, and this is in a larger space and has been set up really well. You know, I used to do kids' church and youth group in that same room. It's, a, it's great that it's got a better purpose now. Um, and it has changed for the better. It's been fully kitted out by Thread Together, 
with quality fittings from these fashion brands, which are also saved from landfill. Did you know that most stores in Westfields and the like, they have to do a complete store refit out every three years as part of their contract to remain in those shopping centres? And most of the stuff that is pulled out goes to landfill, but now, some of those at least, go to thread together and so they get almost brand new fittings, really, donated to them to use in their hubs. And this creates a really dignified shopping experience to vulnerable people. And it meets, meets real tangible needs and brings hope. So last year I met with a homelessness network coordinator from Beyond Housing representing 14 other agencies in her network and someone from our local council to discuss the need for this in Wangaratta which they assured was great. So it was great networking opportunity to connect with those services and people in those roles right from the start to get their support. And from that meeting, I then approached Thread together to see if they would be open <coughs> to coming to Wangaratta and opening a hub here. <coughs> and I'm very pleased to announce that they have approved us to open a clothing hub here in Wangaratta. All we need to do now is find volunteers, someone to oversee the clothing hub and a team to support them and a location. As far as locations go, I've actually approached the owners of the old Baptist church who are getting back to me this week in the hope that they would give us a lease on the building. And the lease, at this point, they've put a figure on it at just $6,000 for the whole year. And so that's less than $120 a week. So I reckon it would be amazing to have a thread together clothing hub operating out of the old Baptist church by the Baptist church. Um, so what happens from here? Well, once we have the location secured, which I'm hoping to find out this week, thread together will be able to do the fit out probably within about eight weeks. So we're probably looking about Easter or just after Easter. And that costs them about twenty-five dollars to $30,000, which they all cover and they fund completely. And then we'll be pretty much ready to go. But we need to finance the lease. And um, God's amazing. Um, you know, it, it blows me away. Um, and the generosity of God's people. Because not knowing that this was coming, we received a donation in January of $3,000 to local mission. That's half of this lease. That's six months of a lease for this covered. Like, God's amazing, sorry. Um, and I don't know who it was. And, yeah, I just find it amazing how God sets things up and gives us that little spark of, of confidence, I think, as well, in his leading. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, but we need <coughs> volunteers to oversee and run the hub as well. But the running of it, is completely up to us. So thread together, provide everything we need to get going, and then they go, here you go, <laughs> with some training as well. 
They've got all the back-end IT stuff all completely sorted, but the team of volunteers need to reorder things that are low, um, restock the, the space, um, and then manage the, the appointments, which again, all IT is covered for that as well with Thread Together too. Um, and so it, it's basically we might open it one day a week to begin with as we get up and running and we know how it's working. Um, and then as demand grows, which will be quickly, I assume, considering the great need, and as word gets out about this and as we approach different um, providers in this space who might, you know, make appointments up in Murray Family Care, Beyond Housing, you know, um, Loaves and Fishers will also be able to refer people, so we're going to ask them to include, and how are you for clothing? And they can say, actually, I don't have any, or I've only got what's on my back, or whatever their circumstances are, and they can go, great, here, call this number with this referral, and you can go and get free clothes. So um, it provides a different um, thing to what op shops provide. Um, it's really all about new clothing, about a dignified shopping experience to f for a whole and complete wardrobe that we give to someone for free. But it, needs, it does need volunteers. Um, and so if you want to be involved, um, like, can you see what an amazing impact this will have on our community? You know, we in Wangaratta are so centrally located that this will be used from people coming from Wodonga and Albury, from Bright, from Myrtleford, from Rutherglen, from Yarrawonga, from Benalla, from um, uh, Shepparton even. Caseworkers will bring people to this to be closed. So it's not just about bringing hope to Wangaratta, it's about bringing hope to the northeast. Brilliant. So, <coughs> um, I think it's a great thing to be involved in and feel free to share about this. Share about Thread Together with your friends, with your family, with your neighbours and with others from the community as well. Um, and we'll also be open to inviting volunteers from all walks of life to join with us in this too because that's an opportunity again that we will have to build relationships with people who we otherwise may not have had and to share the hope of the gospel with them. You know, we get to do that in a practical way, uh, but we can also do it with words. So we can also, um, you know, love people with not only giving them clothing for free um, and meeting that great need, but love them by serving them in a lovely way too. So feel free to tell people to Google Thread Together if they want to know what it's all about. They've got a great website and tell them that that's what we're bringing here to Wangaratta and the Northeast. So this isn't a normal sermon um, for, for what I normally would end. And you know, I'd usually look at how we could personally apply the teaching from the passage to our own circumstances. Um, but I hope you can see how caring for our wider community is an extension of being family here as a church, to bring hope in practical ways as we are hospitable to our community, by serving them and meeting real needs. You know, we get to live the gospel and maybe even have an opportunity to develop a relationship with those needing clothes or other volunteers. We can also share about the hope we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our motivation, to joyfully serve our community and bring hope. So if you would like to be involved, um, uh, 
let me know. Um, prayerfully consider your involvement. If you want to give finances, just market thread together or clothing or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll work that out. Um, but as long as it's that way, if you want to contribute to the lease, um, feel free. Um, but I, I am so excited about this. I don't give a rush again. Because I, I thought it would be really hard to do. I actually thought it would be really hard to get this off the ground. And I had one Zoom call with Fred to go, go yeah, sure, let's go. <laughs> Which was, like, really encouraging. Um, so, um, if you want to ask questions, we've got time to answer those. Um, so feel free to have a chat with me at any point about it. Go online, look at Thread Together's website, um, see what they do if you'd like. Um, and if you've got times where you would like to be involved in it, um, next week we'll start having some, some forms if you just want to put your name down or that sort of thing. Um, and then we can start working things together once we get closer to the time. So um, the process from here is basically confirm the lease um, and then after that we'll be um, we'll get then a time frame from thread together when they're doing the fit out but they said they could do it within eight weeks so um, this isn't something that's a long way off actually it's coming up sooner than what it'll probably feel like um, which is which is really exciting um, so um, I would like to just pray now as we um as we as I end this message um about family because family is important um and we get to be family for people who might not even have any um, and you know clothe the naked let's pray Lord Jesus uh, you are such a loving God that you have provided for us the most amazing provision of salvation. And if that was it, that would be enough. But you've also given us a, a calling and a purpose in life. You've given us the purpose of bringing the hope of your gospel to others. And Lord, we don't do that purely with intellect, purely by words, Lord. You have given us lives shaped by the gospel to do that with. You have given us the call to reach out into our community with the love and grace that you've shown us. You have given us the skills and gifts to serve you and to bless others in an amazingly varied way between all of us. And Lord, as we look at launching Thread Together here in Wangaratta, Lord, it is such a practical thing that meets people's needs in unimaginable ways, in a dignified way. And Lord, I just pray that you would go before this. You would raise whatever resources, both human and physical and financial, that are needed to see this happen. Lord, you have 
um, already displayed through your people amazing generosity towards reaching our local community for Christ. About stepping out into spaces where we may not have been before and about bringing hope. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage each one of us in what we can do to be involved in bringing hope to our community. If that's thread together, great. If that's being part of the youth ministry, fantastic. If that's serving on a team in a hospitality, wonderful. If that's joining a community group and blessing them, even better. Lord, we don't just want things to be focused in these walls. We want to take your hope to our community. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon Thread Together. We ask that, Lord, you would go before all the planning and preparation that is required and that it would be unimaginably easy, we pray. And, Lord, we thank you that we can be active in caring for widows and those who struggle to make ends meet in our community and that we can be family, Lord, as family. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Let's... uh